I'm Riz. And this and I'm is Lexi. the Little Sleep Much Reading Podcast. And finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind. Today, we have a special guest with us, Sweet Lexi, who plays the Ivories every single episode. The one who plays beautiful music for us. She's here today. We're going to have her talk a little bit about herself and introduce herself to our lovely sleepy readers. Hi, sleepy readers. I'm Lexi. I went to Pratt Institute with my sweet Riss and my sweet Liza. We were all writing majors together. We all graduated at the same time. I usually write similar to Marissa and Liza. We kind of all kind of work in the same sort of genres. Riss more strictly horror, but I usually write like experimental fiction stories, like short stories that are They've got like some horror, some some psychological, a lot of psychological and body horror, which is what we're going to talk about today, and some magical realism elements here and there, depending on the story. But they're also very much influenced by poetry, and I'm like very into language, I guess you could say above all else when I'm writing things, because I don't, I don't really, I'm not one to plan ahead when I'm writing. So I'm really just thinking about the words. So a lot of the stories that I have written are all poetically based or they all started with prose poetry blurbs and I kind of expand them from there so very much influenced by poets and poetry and weird shit I just like writing some weird stuff I guess that's like a little intro I mean I'm not doing that's basically all I got to share I have no job I'm living (laughs) at home post-grad and I haven't read a book in a minute so but but I am a book fan I do like to read when I do read same as kind of what I write I guess I feel like I usually do go for magical realism or kind of experimental-esque stuff but I I like experimental things when they're mixed with like horror or like psychological kind of disturbing like I don't really like to read an experimental story that's just like straight realism because that stuff's boring to me no offense to the fans out there but like for example something by like Renee Gladman who is so talented but I can't get through those books Mm -hmm. they're like the boringest thing on earth to me but I like magical realism I like horror I like short stories I like satire things sometimes like I like George Saunders a lot I love you know Carmen Maria Machado things that kind of have a feminist spin on them a lot of the time I'm drawn to um yeah that's mostly what I what I lean towards do you have a favorite book my favorite book probably of all time which is what I always say is Dandelion Wine by Ray Bradbury which is a good mix I feel like of the genres that I like but like nobody's read this book that I've like come across and I feel like it's amazing I don't remember how I found it but basically it's a good mix of genres it's like realism it takes place in like 1959 I think but it's also kind of each chapter almost kind of functions as a short story involving these people that all live in this town. And there is like a one main character, this boy who has siblings and stuff, and they have interactions with these people in this town. But um, each 
chapter kind of focuses on like different neighbors and things and it also in Bradbury fashion kind of science fictiony a little bit the things that occur in the town are kind of they're not quite realistic to an extent like for example there's one chapter where like these neighbors have made a machine that like is supposed to make them happy when mm. like they go into the machine or sit in it or whatever and like there's weird things with like some time travel and like weird kind of obscure obscurities that are weird things that go on um and there's like some villain that like lurks in the woods and stuff and like it's just it's so good and it's beautifully beautifully written dandelion wine i swear to god this book is like it doesn't even feel like you're reading ray bradbury at all because i read that before i even read his other popular things right it's by far the most like poetic like language driven thing i feel like and it's also the most personal book that he's written because it's partially all based on his childhood growing up in this town right that he like renames a different name but it's kind of based on his own childhood so there's a lot of personal elements that he's pulled in which I didn't say this before but like most of my writing is at least inspired in some way by like things that have happened in my life so I really like it that's a great book I highly recommend everybody read Dandelion Wine because nobody has and it's great Lexi brought that up because last no two weeks ago we Mm -hmm. read um something wicked this Mm -hmm. way comes which I haven't read but I've heard of and it takes place in Greentown which is where which is where Dandelion Wine takes place it's so it's like the sequel and I said Marissa will recall and the listeners will recall too that I said that some of the writing in something wicked this way comes reminds me of Lexi's style of writing and I was like that's so funny because Lexi's favorite book is Dandelion Wine dialogue in something wicked this way comes and it reminded me a lot of your your stuff you should I I didn't even realize that it was like because I knew that there is like a dandelion wine sequel like an actual there's a real one like a real sequel that was only written in like the 2000s yeah not that long ago and I haven't read that I don't really know I don't know if it was well received I don't know if it was like well received I probably won't even read it but I didn't know that that took place in the same town Marissa, Marissa didn't like it as much as I liked it yeah um but there's like di- the dialogue reminds me a lot of Lex and hopefully like writing but like there's this one section that the dialogue is like it's this like weird back and forth mm-hmm. and like all the dialogue is separated with like and the freaks did this oh my and god the freaks, and it just like rem- like Lexi is always like writing dialogue and then like separating it with these little like descriptors like, I don't think it's so much she's gonna read but it's like almost more like a play very um it's like a play samuel beckett yeah and, influence. and i'm going to talk about that later too with my book really that i read samuel beckett yeah love him he i mean listen same hey. thing kind of boring but if you're looking at it strictly from a writing standpoint with you like especially with dialogue yeah especially that one that we had to read that one monologue not that, i not i oh my god everybody go and just you watch should, the youtube yeah real of not I it's super it's pretty short yeah it's like a two three page monologue it doesn't you're not going to understand it no fine. I don't know what the fuck's going on all I know is that the dialogue is really great it's chock full I love like some repetition yes I love repetition I'm like obsessed with repetition, she loves actually. it it's probably she a little too heavy-handed but um, I don't what think can so. I say I do not think I'd so. like to repeat myself my book has a quote to start one of the sections in it by good Holy shit. Look at us go. Shout out to Samuel Beckett. Is he still alive? No, he's dead. He's far. He's long gone, right? Correct? He's dead. Waiting for Godot. Yeah, but we love, and also you should watch um Play. Like, it's the play is called Play. Is that the one where she's up in the buried with the sand? Oh my God, they're in urns. 
What? They're all the heads are in urns and Alan Rickman is in the one that you can watch on YouTube and it's incredible. Very freaky, very experimental <laughs> and weird. Yeah, I will say a lot of my writing and like specifically the dialogue yeah. is influenced by like plays a lot because I took a playwriting class. At first I hated dialogue and I was like, I can't write it at all. Yeah. And then I took a playwriting class sophomore year and I... My, my my whole life changed based that class was impeccable because we were reading weird shit that's the key to everything read weird shit yep okay <laughs> studio Adams today yes we do um would you like to say hello uh hey guys my name is zane malik from the band one direction i'm here in bucks county pennsylvania <laughs> with my daughter and my uh my girlfriend Gigi. and we're just having a ball yeah uh, great podcast highly recommend all the boys listen to it so. oh all the boys <laughs> oh, yeah but- we do have zane malik aka our good 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 friend my best friend since like too long too long miss cassidy smith hi guys he's also besties with uh lysandris squad <laughs> squad and we are in bucks county which is where zane malik currently lives right with the hadiths we're not lying so we're, he we're is fibbing, basically here we're right. fibbing, but are we hyperbole but not really Sorry. Where's your Beckett quote? <laughs> My Beckett quote. Like a caged beast, born of caged beasts, born of caged beasts, born of caged beasts, born in a cage and dead in a cage, born and then dead, born in a cage and then dead in a cage, in a world like a beast, in one of their worlds, like such a beast. Whoa. I love that. Profound. It, I don't even it why doesn't is even make sense, but so it makes sense. It's so good. You repeat something like three times in a row, and I'm like, shit, that's poetry. Yeah. Like, unless it's like shit ass crap that shit ass crap. I want to introduce our theme. Our theme for this week is body horror. Ooh, Ooh spooky. Which is one of my favorite things in the world. Mm-hmm. To start this off, kind of, Lexi, do you want to talk to us about why you like body horror and why it comes out in your writing or what you even think body horror is? You know, the basis. Yeah, sure. Well, I also am a big fan of body horror. I mean, I think of a lot of things. I feel like it can be really anything pertaining to your body, but I think mostly about like either something happening out of control to your body or like some way of your body being invaded in some way i'm that i was thinking of invasion of the body snatchers i guess like so yeah in the more like horror sense i'm thinking of something taking over your body or something like your body is i don't know thinking getting fucked up maybe like your body is changing or whatever but i feel like in terms of my writing, I I mean, like I said before, I didn't really like plan any of these stories beforehand. They kind of just like took their own directions as I went along. But I feel like when I look at my clock, my I'm talking about my thesis too that I wrote. Um, when I look at it as a whole, I feel like there are a lot, there's a lot of big themes of body horror and like psychological horror. And also like there's a lot of themes in my thesis of violence and violence onto the body and just feeling... I don't know. I always am thinking, I think a lot about like just feeling like uncomfortable in your own body or like feeling unsafe in your own body for like whatever reason, or like just feeling that like pieces of yourself are not quite right. You don't feel like a holistic body anymore, like a whole person. When I'm thinking about it, like I feel like a body horror, it doesn't necessarily even have to be like a 
physical thing necessarily. Like I feel like it the, the way that like your psychology and your mind messes with your body and like how the mind and body is like connected. I think about that a lot too. Mm-hmm. And in my stories, some of them, a lot of them have like more body horror than others. I mean, in almost all the stories that I've written, they usually have some kind of trauma thematically. There is one story that I wrote in my collection called Disgust, which I think is probably the most, when I th- at least when I think of it, when I think of body horror, like that's the first story of mine that comes to my head immediately. And that story, it was particularly inspired by the house guests. Amparo de Villian. Yeah, which everybody should go it's and so read. Great. It's like six pages. You can probably find the PDF online. Yeah. And it's really good. And I was thinking about that story a lot when I was writing discussed in that story there's kind of this like unknown presence first my initial reaction was like okay I want there to become some kind of like presence in this story but then it kind of took its own direction when I was writing it and there's a lot of themes of sexual violence and your body being violated none of the things necessarily in the story have happened to me literally I guess to an extent but like I don't know there's a lot of references of just like something and in this instance it's like a man kind of like just invading your space and like trying to claim ownership of your body and like taking the the value of your body away from you the feeling of being dirty and just feeling like you've been like I said violated in some aspect violation is probably the biggest thing that I think of when I think of body horror mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. that was like such a beautiful description of body horror and all and all the things that body horror can be because it's such a broader genre than I think I originally thought when when we were picking this topic because when I when I was thinking of books to read I was like really like thinking about it what I didn't even end up reading much of anything but (laughs) but I was like looking up books because I it's so like far yeah the genre is so like widespread because I feel like there's a lot of like classic horror like invasion of the body snatchers or like the fly I'm thinking of movies but you know what I mean the fly or like things that are like you know grotesque changes but then I feel like there are a lot of more subtle things because anything that has some kind of any kind of violence onto the self is body horror I feel like in some degree the porn industry I feel like that's body horror that just makes me immediately think of body horror after I got in my research a little bit I was kind of thinking do you you remember being in middle school and people would be like okay you have to pick one would you rather your mind be perfectly healthy, but your body be completely useless or mm-hmm. your body perfectly healthy and your mind completely useless? Mm-hmm. I feel like depending on which one you would pick could possibly be whether you would have more of a reaction to body horror or psych horror, mm-hmm. which is interesting how it just kind of happened that we did body horror right after the psych horror episode. I think feel like when we talk about horror, we talk so much about confinement. Even in our psych episode, we talked about it. Like, I mean, those two books kind of fall into being like kind of trapped either with a person or in a space. We talked about it a lot with Stephen King and body horror is the same thing. You're you're trapped in my book that I'm going to be talking about. I know that the main character, I think, certainly feels trapped by the circumstances she's found herself in. So that's a big horror thing is confinement. Yeah, that's actually... That makes me think, because I, I feel like, I mean, people like, I mean, psychological horror, obviously like that shit. I mean, that is like what gets to like me the most, but at the same time, like, I feel like generally speaking, people are more viscerally afraid of like losing their body function over. I feel like people think that they can like get their brain back. Yeah, I feel like body horror and psych horror very much do go hand in hand. 
last week we talked about the question, what are you afraid of becoming? Mm. And we both said something apart from society, sort of, and like what that could turn you into based on what our books were telling us. But I think something that makes body horror so scary is that you can run away from the things that are happening in society and from the ghost in your closet and the monster that you created in your basement. But like, you can't run away from your body. I was just thinking every time we do a horror-based genre type episode like this one, I'm going to make an argument for Frankenstein because I was yeah. thinking about it. Frankenstein is everything. Mm-hmm. It is body has horror. Everything. It is psych horror. Um, it's creature horror, but like creature horror is kind of a sub. sub yeah, like monster genre. horror. Frankenstein for sure, body horror. But Frankenstein is one of the earliest ones. Everywhere I looked, I couldn't find no full history of horror, uh, of body horror. It was only like a brief history of body horror, which like, I don't want no brief stuff. I want to read it. <laughs> um, but they pretty much all had Frankenstein, which was published in 1818, which is forever ago. So... It's just kind of crazy that this is something that's been going on for so long with Frankenstein kind of being one of the first. But so as I've said, body horror is a big subgenre of horror, which has so many sub subgenres. Um, just to list a few, there's plague, disease, sickness. There's creature horror, which contains zombie, alien, vampire, freaks. Um, There's also feminist horror, sci-fi, eco-horror, and there's also like torture porn. And there's also a bunch of underlying themes of the sub-sub-genres. So I guess what I was thinking about when I was looking up body horror is kind of like, what does body horror mean? For example... Usually when you have a creature horror or you have zombie horror specifically, there's the underlying theme of otherness and conflict with society. So I was like, what could it be for body horror? But really, when I was doing my research, I just found that it just depends on what the sub-sub-genre is. Obviously, if it's sickness or something, then you have body decay, eventual death, immortality, oftentimes cancer. Um, and like literal disease. There's also identity and gender. You can have inner beauty, love, sex and sexual assault, an invasion, and then kind of a commentary on societal desires and wants, which is super interesting. And I thought that we can kind of think about our um books in terms of a what would the sub sub genre be and like sometimes it kind of is just body horror and I also just kind of wanted to ask the question what do we think body horror is doing is it like othering is it othering ourselves um is it becoming aware of ourselves um I was kind of thinking of if you are walking down the street and you saw yourself, how you wouldn't recognize yourself. Mm. Ooh, stop. I hate right. that. And how, how there's something about being aware of oneself and like not knowing oneself that's very frightening. Do we think that it's a commentary on sex, on invasions, on taboo of society, on being female, which being female is automatically being othered and being objectified. Right. 
Um, there's also this weird fear of kind of being in your body. There's a separateness from one's body and something that me and Liza have talked about a lot. There's a kind of a lack of awareness and knowledge about women's bodies, not just from doctors and other officials, politicians who have no uh, business making decisions on our bodies, but um, also just from ourselves. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like I know very basically what's going on when I like get my period or something, but like, do I really know what's going on? Right. right. Let's just start. What do we think body horror is doing? It's interesting when you said like, what did you say? Like the othering of the self. I feel like I mostly think of, for some reason, I keep thinking of like the of this fucking Freaky Friday, the movie no. Freaky Friday. But like that is such a basic example of body horror, though. Like you, you're switched in with your mom, with your mom's body, and it's like it's one. You're like, okay, this is now my body, and that's freaking you out. You're so aware. It's honestly like you were just saying because like you're watching your body with somebody else's brain, which is unsettling. And then you're also like you're just you're forced to be so aware of yourself. And one, what you are, but also like what you're like lacking without mm. your body or like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's all those kinds of things. Going to the gyno even like, and everywhere, like on TikTok, everywhere, people are so afraid to go to the gynecologist. they don't know what's going to happen. we don't know like, what it Some is. Some people like, don't even know where different parts of themselves are. No, like exactly. And it's, and they find that out sometimes for the first time, yeah, like exactly. whatever. And that's just like so, I don't know. It's so startling. Like even when I went and got a pap for the first time or whatever, when they, I don't know if it was a pap, but they swabbed right up in there. And I was like, one, it fucking hurt. But two, it's like, you like literally have no idea what the feelings you're going to have, like the sensations your body are going to have until it's like actually happening to you. And it's like just scary to like not know that you could feel or become a thing that you end up becoming or feeling. Body horror is what is abject. When we talk about different theories in horror, like body horror to me, I feel like is the theory of abjection. Like Mm -hmm. the first kind of I guess thing that comes to mind is like, you know, you talk about this when you study horror and theory, but like that way, when you look at a dead body mm-hmm. and you're very disturbed by it um, because you know, it used to be a person, but it very much is not a dead body is not a human. Right. It is a body. It's there's nothing in there. Like it, it and, and that scares us yeah. deeply. That's why d- dead bodies are so scary to so many people because you're like, this was something. And it is now very much a different thing. Right. You know, a big theme in body horror is cannibalism too. And it's like, what is that abject? Because here we are eating animals and it's not a big deal. And then here you are in horror. And it's always a thing in horror. I feel like it's scariest in body horror when somebody finds out they ate a person and they didn't know. Mm-hmm. And that's so scary, but it's because it's abject. It's that othering. It's that thing that makes us feel like we should look the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like looking up, it like, recoil. Right. It's like pouring a glass of milk, thinking you're going to have milk, and it's like curdled milk. Right. It, right. You're like there's something horrified. abject about or if that. You like go and you already pour it into your cereal, and then you realize yeah. after the fact that you've eaten something like moldy or something curdled. It's like yeah. the same. It's, it's like it's abject. That's not right. Yeah. Something something Liza said relates to my notes. Thank you, Liza. You're welcome. So she was talking about um, a dead body and how that thing was once human, but is no longer human. Um, And something that body horror continues to ask is what makes a human a human? 
Mm. Is it the skin we wear? Is it the bodies we have, how they look? Is it being a straight white cis male? Is it being able to love or to feel or to mother something? Is it being alive? Is it participating in society? So I think that that is a kind of good question to keep in our heads while we talk about our books and kind of ask, why does this book give us the feeling of objection or not? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, what makes a human a human? With that, let us move into our reviews. Yay. I'll take it away. Take it away, Gary. Take it away, Gary. Um, so I read a book that is fairly new. It came out in July of 2021 called Night Bitch by Rachel Yoder. And it is her debut novel, Go Queen. And just to give like a very brief summary of this book, um, it follows a fairly new mother. I think her baby is like under two years old who, you know, is spending a lot of time alone taking care of her kid. Her husband is gone like over half of the year, basically for like weeks on end. And she's sort of isolated with her baby. And then she starts realizing these changes that are happening to her that aren't necessarily your typical like postpartum changes. And she realizes that she is turning into a dog, quite literally. And like a dream come true. I know. And she, you know, she's trying to figure it out. Her husband isn't, He's not necessarily gaslighting her, but he's not taking her very seriously. Medical professionals aren't taking her very seriously. She's trying to do like her own research. Um, And then she's coming across, you know, ancient texts and things and trying to figure out what's going on. And then she meets this group of, um, they're kind of like a mommy daycare group, but they have big mommy blogger energy um, and kind of like pyramid scheme uh, energy. And she's coming to find out that not everything with these other mommies are as they seem. Not everything with herself is as it seems or makes sense. And that's sort of all I will say because we don't like to give spoilers in this house. So to jump right into it, for readability, I gave this book a seven. It was pretty short. It was only like 238 pages. Very easy to read. Um, The form is a bit interesting, which I will get into later, but I think it's the form that kind of helps the story move along very quickly. It is one of those things that like, I'm not sure you could read it in one sitting uh, unless you're that type of bitch, but you could definitely read it in two, which is I think kind of what I did. Very, very easy to get through. For language and style, I gave this book really high. I gave this book a nine. I loved the language and style in this book. I loved it. There was no quotations on the dialogue, which I'm a huge fan of. kind of funny simultaneously I'm reading Sally Rooney's Normal People which is very much not body horror uh, or anything like what we usually talk about on the podcast but uh, she also doesn't use quotation marks and I'm a huge fan of that I think you have to be kind of talented to to do that well wait there's so there's no quotation marks in the dialogue yeah like how does she how is it um written it'll be like no the mother said Okay. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and so, she, you know, she's tagging the dialogue, but there's no quotations. It, right. I like when I, I love I it. Love when I think it's so too. good. Um, it's also very interior to the main character who we don't know her name. Um, it's the mother or later night bitch. It's very inside of her head, which I think is really interesting because it is from third person perspective. Um, but it's a very, very close third person. And and one thing that I really, I don't know if I was kind of doing this subconsciously or if it was intentional on Yoder's part, but something tells me it was because I think 
whatever way you read a book in your head is usually the way the author wanted you to read it because you can tell based on how they were kind of writing. But um, she had these kind of long sentences that really built up and had so much suspense and it was comma and listing off things. And I was reading it kind of like it was a Beckett type speech pattern, mm-hmm. like da 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 And it, I think, I don't know, I'm also, I'm currently watching Midnight Mass, um, which I'm obsessed with. And Hamish Linklater is doing a very sort of thing that I'm trying to figure out if someone told him to kind of pull a Beckett or if he was given these blocks of dialogue that just had comma after comma after comma, um, that these almost a run on sentence, but it works beautifully. I think really short sentences work well to build up suspense. And I think really long sentences work really Mm -hmm. well to build up suspense. And you kind of have to pick, you know, which maybe you want to do. And again, you have to be talented if you're going to do something like that, because a run on sentence we're taught is a bad thing. But I think a very gifted writer can use a run-on sentence very well. Um, I mean, so, gifted, but I love a run-on sentence. She's a gifted writer with her run-on I'm sentences. I'm a writer. Who um, uses and the language style caused a lot of anxiety actually while reading. But I, I think when you're reading horror, you, you should be anxious. So I did not mind that I was really anxious. In terms of form, I did only give this book a five point five because I actually did not like I was less of a fan of the form so this book isn't episodic it's not there was separate parts but there were no chapters there was just page breaks Mm. and the parts were fairly I mean I said you know it's only a 238 page book but the parts were fairly long and I can see why she did it because I think if it had been episodic if it had been broken into chapters that had you know, whether they had a cliffhanger or a nice neat ending, it would have halted the sort of psychological anxiety that this book brought on. You know, maybe she did intend you to not be able to catch a break um, really while you were reading it, but I found that it was hard to figure out when I should stop reading. I kind of wanted to read to the end of each part, which was like, you know, I don't know. I'm a person, I think, especially with this kind of book that was causing me a lot of anxiety um, that I would have liked a break. Um, But sometimes books are kind of meant to make you not comfortable while you're reading. And so I think it was intentional, but it just was not particularly my favorite thing. Shelfworthiness. I gave this book a six. I think this book is definitely shelfworthy, if not for the cover alone. I don't have the book with me, but it's like bright red, white block letters that say night bitch and just a woman holding meat. I think it's such a cool cover, but I also think it's like a good book to have for any horror collector and specifically feminist horror collector, because feminist horror, I think is a big genre and it's a growing genre. And this feels like it's going to be a staple to that sort of uh, subgenre. Um, I don't know if it's a two-time read. I don't know if I would ever read it again, but I think you might want to revisit it uh, and you might be called to revisit it at certain points in your life. So, you know, I, this is a book I would say you should hang on to not necessarily a borrow a borrow book for plot I gave this book an eight this book is incredibly original I've never seen anything like it people were comparing it to Kafka's metamorphosis because you know Gregor wakes up and he's a bug and night bitch wakes up and she's a dog which I think is true but it's also entirely its own and it has a really feminist spin on it which I think is so great and I think this book would probably be even better understood by someone who is a mother, but I think it's something that any kind of woman identifying person would really appreciate and a book that anybody should really read. 
if I had anything about the plot that I would change, it's the mommy book club, mommy club type thing. I wanted it just a tiny bit more. We spend a lot of this book just with Night Bitch. And I love that because I'll get into that in a minute when I talk about characterization. But I think the like weird like pyramid scheme I thought was going to be a way bigger part of the book. And it was it didn't feel like a loose end, but it was bridging on that perhaps. Like I was like, I want I wanted this just like maybe a little bit more or maybe I wanted it less like you know what I mean like it was too much in the middle like it was in the book it was there Mm -hmm. but it should have been either even less of a big big part of the book or the main plot so you know that was kind of the only thing that made me like go oh well that's one thing I thought about and then last but not least characterization I gave this book a nine which is also very high and not what I usually go for I'm not even focusing on any of the other characters except for Night Bitch because she's just, you know, the star of the show. And I thought she was incredible. Again, I will say that I think this character was is probably more relatable to mothers, um, people who have given birth, parents who were spending a lot of isolated time with a young child. But I found her so relatable as well in different ways um and I also said like this book made me feel so anxious and uncomfortable but also incredibly seen um because the mother is going through this really crazy transform transformation um but a lot of her symptoms at the beginning she is questioning it doesn't really have kind of any clue what's going on she's kind of experiencing this health anxiety and is having these people in her life kind of like dismiss or gaslight her she spends a lot of time in like anxiety holes like googling stuff online and that was just very relatable to me and I'll be completely honest and say that I don't think it was the best time for me to read this book um like as a person who experiences anxiety um and was having a particularly bad week I kind of wish I wasn't reading this book because I don't think it helped me at all it maybe made my life worse so maybe a trigger warning maybe a trigger warning for people who have that kind of anxiety or trigger warning for um people maybe who are experiencing postpartum depression which I am not um but I can see how if you were reading this book you might want to read it maybe after you've (laughs) I don't know different strokes for different folks. Some people want to read something similar to what they're going through while they're going through it. Some people, you might want to wait, bestie. But I do think, this is all to say, even though it made me kind of anxious to read it, I think it's important when we're reading literature, and especially interesting when it happens in horror, not always to be looking through a window, but sometimes looking in a mirror. Um, You can learn as many things looking in a mirror as you can looking out a window. Um, And so I did not mind that this book, you know, made me a little bit um, panicked at times. Um, But also, I don't want to make people think this is just an anxiety riddled book. It was really funny at times. Like it was like laugh out loud funny. Uh, It was a satirical fairy tale. It's not like this book is going to like scare the shit out of you. It kind of depends on the kind of person you are but I do think it's horror you know it's meant to make you uncomfortable at times that's what horror is for but there was also some big character development with Night Bitch that I very much appreciated and character development into kind of how she feels about her life and herself so um not all negatives by any means and that's my thoughts on Night Bitch by Rachel Yoder so it was obviously feminist body horror yes and a little bit of creature body horror Yes. Yeah, it sounds really good. It's really good. I think both you guys would really like it. 
if you're interested in this kind of like like horror that is horror but also kind of related to mothers and family but also individuality of women read love story by samantha hunt Mm, yes this book i feel like there's no fucking way that rachel yoder did not read love story by samantha hunt and i think if you're writing any kind of feminist literature or any even kind of horror like Mm -hmm. honestly like sam's always kind of like getting spooky she's blurring the lines you have to read love story it's one of the best things i've ever read and i think on the new yorker you can actually listen to sam read it and she has a very soothing soothing voice a motherly voice and and i don't know it's really yeah so read love story maybe before you read this book not saying it's the same themes but just read love story bitch like, just read love doing? story we haven't, read, we haven't read love story yet that's toxic ridiculous ridiculous um so yeah little book recommendation don't go and read kafka's metamorphosis before you read this book unnecessary read love story instead <laughs> and period or you could read them both i don't care what you do Kaf- but. Me- metamorphosis if no one's read it it's i beautifully done miss liza thank you very nice so i've read Tender is the Flesh by Augustina uh, Bazterica. And let me just say, this book is not for the faint of heart. Um, It is relatively new, published in other countries, I believe in 2017, but in the US in 2020. So it is relatively new and it is all the hype right now on BookTok, pretty much. So the premise to this book it is very much dystopian fiction for the fact that the government is telling people that animals got a kind of disease. Mm-hmm. Unconfirmed. And people still need to eat meat because, you know, people. And so they start breeding and harvesting people as meat. They do not call them people anymore. They're called, it's not called like, you wouldn't go to the store and see human. I'll have a half a pound of human flesh. Yeah, no, it's called specialty meat. <gasps> I would like some specialty meat. Can I get a rack of ribs, please? Wait, specialty meat? Marissa, specialty are they adults meats. when they're killed or are they babies? Both. Okay, because I was just thinking about when Chris Evans is in Snowpiercer and he's like, I know what babies taste like. <laughs> and he's like, I know babies taste best. <laughs> and he's crying and he's Chris Evans. I was just yes. wondering because like they have, I was just wondering because I was like, is it freakier if it's adults or freakier if it's babies? Because listen, I think it's freakier if it's adults. Really? I feel like it's freakier if it's babies. Because then they have to live. They have to age into adulthood. Uh, well. And they know they're going to be me. I guess I'd be freakier to eat a baby, I'm saying. I'd be freakier to, well, stem cell research. <laughs> well, this really is, know. I mean, this shit. is kind of where the like. Okay, what sorry. makes a human a human thing comes into play. Let's hear it. Because, again, a lot of them are raised this way. A lot of them are bred certain ways. There's, there's like some expensive meat that's like a pure bloodline meat. They're, they take out their vocal cords so they can't talk. The meat is very expensive to buy. And um, buying a head, which is what they call like a live human that would be used for eating a head. So to buy a head is super expensive and people don't want to eat it all at once. 
So a lot of times they will like have an arm for dinner, you know, save, save a, a leg for Christmas or something. I don't know. Uh, it's very interesting. There's also, uh, they've pretty much, I don't want to say they've eradicated all animals, but they've killed the majority of animals in the world. So you literally cannot find them anymore. It's dangerous to touch them. People think that a bird pooping on them will literally give them the animal disease. So there's no zoos anymore. Um, if any animals are seen outside besides birds, they're killed immediately. So she's pretty much really thought of everything. There's, there's no hunting. How You can't hunt animals anymore. So you hunt head. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> this is a um, hunting for head. Hunting for head. And people like request certain ones. For example, um, a lot of times they like men and pregnant women because <gasps> they're the most aggressive. So they literally will like call the main character who the main character works at kind of a head factory where they get the people and then process them into meat and use their unbelievable. It really I'm really upset. <laughs> the main character of this book, as I said, he works at a head factory and he also his wife is currently not at home with him. She's staying at her mother's place because they recently just lost a baby. Oh, Christ. Um, and meanwhile, his father, who kind of taught him everything he knows about butchering because he used to be a butcher of like actual animal meat. Um, after the animals kind of got this disease and everything, um, his father went a little bit crazy and I think I believe he has uh, Alzheimer's or dementia and so the main character is very much dealing with a lot on his own um, on top of pretty much running this whole factory for readability I gave this book an eight uh, I loved this book I told myself that I was only going to read 50 pages a night and the first night I started reading it, I cracked out like half the book. So I would say this book is definitely a binge book. But I do, I very much understand that this is 150 billion percent not going to be everybody's book. And so if you don't like body horror, if you know you have a weak stomach, this book is not for you. And don't even, don't listen to my review because I loved it. The writing was a nine stunning so good um she just knows how to keep you unsettled she knows how to balance this like frightening and terrible world by interjecting these pieces of really beautiful language her timing is so good I wanted to read um a little part from a page that I sent Eliza this was probably my favorite part let's get into it the smell of barbecue is in the air. They go to the rest area where the farmhands are roasting a rack of meat on a cross. El Gringo explains to Egmont that they've been preparing it since eight in the morning, so it melts in your mouth, and that the guys are actually about to eat a kid. It's the most tender kind of meat. There's only just a little because a kid doesn't weigh as much as a calf. We're celebrating because one of the farmhands became a father, he explains. 
Want a sandwich? Egmont nods, but he, meaning the main character, says no. And the other two look at him with surprise. No one turns down this meat. The meal is worth a month's salary. El Gringo doesn't say anything because he knows that his sales depend on the quantity of head the Krieg processing plant buys. One of the farmhands cuts off a piece of kidney and makes two sandwiches. He adds a spicy sauce that's reddish yellow in color. Bro. The kid. That is so unsettling. Just the fact that they're obviously they're roasting a kid to celebrate somebody having a kid. Like, right. what? Right. The right. Fuck. <laughs> um, it's also strange because the main character like lost a kid. Shit. And it kind of gives him a weird sense of humanity, but um, I don't think you can trust anyone in this book. Mm-hmm. It's very strange. And um, the main character ends up getting a head of his own and it's icky. Um, so for form, there really is no difference in form. So we're just going to omit that. For shelf worthy, I said a seven. Again, this is a seven for the right person. Not everyone's going to like this book. I'm thinking of ending things is something I think any book lover can appreciate, but this book is not like that. While I think the writing is something to be um, appreciated and anyone can appreciate that, the content is super gruesome, super violent, definitely not for everyone. As I said, this book is a dystopian book that doesn't try to be a utopia. Um, There's no disguising the terror in here. It's stomach turning. I just think this book was definitely seven for me. I'll probably read it again in the future. But um, if you think that you'll like it, just remember my warning. Plot, I gave this a six. If, If you were to put this book on a plot diagram the exposition so the beginning part would be very very long leaving the rest to be rather small I would say the world building is something that she put so much time into with this book and it's so well worth it any question that you could possibly think of she somehow answers in this book she's she's truly thought out her own world that she's created and it's um, I, as a writer, I super appreciate that. As a reader, I super appreciate that. It's quite wonderful. Um, also, because it's the beginning is so long and there's so much gruesome stuff right away, it's almost like you're never waiting for the book to pick up. You're never waiting for like, oh, what's the inciting incident going to be? Because it's really all scary and terrifying. The world building is horrifying enough mm. that when the really disturbing parts of the climax are presenting themselves, you almost don't notice it. It's very jarring. It's almost like you, um, you're almost like, why is she suddenly giving me this part two of the book? You're like, why is she giving me this and not all of the stuff that she was giving me in the first half? And then I didn't really realize until after I was done reading the book, I was like, that, like, she wanted me to think that and to feel that way. That was exactly what she wanted me to do. And I, I fell right into the trap. 
for characterization, I gave this book a seven. The main character feels like our one grasp at hope in this horrible world. He feels like the only character with a little bit of humanity. Again, he's dealing with the death of his son. He hasn't really ate meat since his son died. He very much flinches at the things that happen at his job. The way that uh, Bizterica has us um, building a kind of trust with this main character is so well done and so delicately crafted that you don't even realize that you had such a connection with this character until the end of the book. She, she also does a really great job of giving you characters who are determined and they seem kind and caring and they have morals and their own ideas of what's wrong, but they also eat this special meat and they also work at the plant and they're also uh, not okay with animals and they're okay with this kind of system that the government has given them of killing and selling humans, um, not only because they need meat, but also because it's solved overpopulation and a lot of poverty problems and overcrowding and disease and a lot of things. Um, so it's really interesting to have characters who you want to believe that they're good. You know, they're like sweet old ladies, but they're cooking up someone's hand. Mm -hmm. um, it's really interesting. But so that's really all I'll say on that. I think, I think this book is worth a read if you could stomach it. It is pretty great. Bro, I don't, I don't want to read that. I have now. to say, this is the first book that Marissa described that I was like, I can totally see that it's a good book, but I will not be partaking in the fun. <laughs> see, I feel like I would want to read that. It seems like a fun ride. Oh, God. A fun and disgusting and disturbing ride. It sounds, it sounds actually scary. Yeah. And I feel like I have a hard time with horror books because I don't usually find them that scary. Some, mm -hmm. it'll, there'll, there'll be one-liners or little sections that'll freak me out for sure. Or I'll be like anxious, but this actually sounds like, mm -hmm. like horrifying. Like this horrifying. is the kind of book where, yes, the book itself is scary, but what really scares you is, like, this is, this is going to sound so cliche, but what really scares you while you're reading this book is you. Right. It's really good. Does Lexi want to take us home and read some body horror? Should I read some excerpts from or from uh like disgust or something or what should i, I don't yeah know. you guys tell me want. read a little section of disgust so hi again it's lexi here again <laughs> circling back i'm going to read a little bit from this story i wrote called disgust which was like i said before like i wasn't really thinking about body horror or really much of anything when i started writing this but when i look back at the collection and as i was writing the story I feel like it hits those like themes probably the most. Um, it definitely goes like back to what I was saying about um, feeling of just being violated. I, that was kind of mostly what I was thinking about with this. And, and I, I don't know, it kind of, well, that's what it turned into at least. So this story is also each page kind of just has its own little like vignette kind of thing. I guess it's a story. It's a short story, but the way that I have it formed, they're, they're almost like little 
vignettes. I'm going to read the first page and then I'm going to read the, the bodega bit. Okay, guys. Disgust. We met cancered in January when the air was frost. You'd seen me every morning leaving my building while you stood at the end of the crosswalk. You were bold and stupid. You told me I was hot. You tried to touch me. After the fifth time you saw me, you hadn't spoken to me. You tried to touch my waist and pull me into you. I didn't know your name. You whisked me off my feet. I pushed you away and you did pull away and you gave me a ripped smile. My skin felt punctured where you almost felt me. When you walked away finally, I faced the brick wall and pulled my pants down and my shirt up to look at my skin to make sure it was still there and not raw, scabbed and bloody. I turned back around and tried to find you in the street. You were trying to talk to another young girl who was skinny and wearing earmuffs. She didn't give you the time of day and left and went down the subway. You didn't have time to touch her and it made me angry. I rotted in my boots. My jaw was up in my eyes. I was pissed that you made me look at myself when I had put layers on. It reminded me of the first time I had sex and it felt good, but my body was a heap of ugly wet cement. And I thought about it long after the man had left me naked in a bed with my own guts. My skin is the snow and the snow is my skin. You nibbled at my bones. I swore pieces of me were changing as you changed and as the seasons changed too. Sometimes I'd go weeks without looking at your face, but I'd still feel your hands in the fat above my hips and below my belly button. I couldn't explain the sensation to anyone. At the bodega around the corner, I thought that you had come up from behind me, and I twisted my body so fast my knees gave out and I fell to the ground in horror. Nobody looked at me except for the men behind the deli counter frying potatoes and vats of hot oil. They nodded at my broken legs and pointed. Do you see it? Do you see it? I couldn't understand them, and I thought for a moment that they couldn't hear me at all. What, I said, what, what is it? They pointed at me and laughed, and they kept laughing until the rest of the customers in the store began to notice, and then they began to laugh too. What is it, I asked. I was too confused to cry, so I didn't. I never got up from the floor. I stayed there all night, and when I woke in the morning, I was back home in my bed. My legs were fixed. Someone had placed a blanket over my shoulders, but in the night it had fallen to my waist. In the mirror, I saw that I was naked. My hair was wet. When winter finally came, the air froze like tar on my scalp. I began to bundle myself up to the point of overheating. And when you finally tore my clothes off at the end of the day, I, could be, I would be drenched in a layer of sweat. Bitter, you'd say, like cocoa. At this point, it felt as though I was nearly blind. It felt as though I was nearly blind considering the amount of hours out of the day I spent with my eyes closed. I was afraid to be anywhere with or without you. I felt I couldn't escape you even when you started to come around less. You told me you needed time to think, but what I think you meant was that you needed time to figure out if I was still appetizing to you. I felt as if I had been poached and left fatigued in the grass, the most valuable parts of me stolen. Whoa. Snaps and claps, Thanks, everyone. Love. Just a little something there. Body horror. Body horror. Body horror. Well. All right, besties. All right, besties. That's all she wrote. That's all, That's all she wrote. wrote. Um, thank you, Lexi. Thanks for having, Thanks for Lexi. having me on. I am so happy to have been a part of this wonderful, grotesque episode. You were perfect. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll come back anytime. Hey. I'm not doing anything. Always happy to talk about books, even if I haven't read them. Also, thank you to the studio audience. Yes. Give it up for Cassidy, a.k.a. Zayn Malik, everybody. Great. Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty. Rick and Mortis. All right. So next week, we have 
our final, yeah, our, our final, final Halloween episode. Right, which is going to be Dead Week. Dead Week. Woo, dead Week. What are you dead reading, Marissa? I am reading uh, something called Hostage to the Devil. The, pos- the Possession and Exorcism of Five Contemporary Americans by Malachi Martin. Shout out. That sounds so that sounds like cool. And I'm very excited. I, I'm intrigued. I'm Mine is very different. I'm reading My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix, and I'm very excited. It's so we're giving you a little spook and yeah. a little laugh. A little fun. Fun. We're gonna we're gonna terrify you and then Halloween like lighthearted. We're bringing this. We're doing tricks, the tricks and treats, the tricks and the treats. Maybe if you guys are lucky this week, one of us will get possessed and the other one will have to do an exorcism over Zoom. I don't know. We might try it. I volunteer as. Who's to say? Hey, I haven't read the Bible, but I could study up. Thanks for tuning in. Peace out. See you next week. See you next week, except not really, but maybe. But maybe.